How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. To the Dr. Joe Show. That was incredibly creative. You, you almost almost sounded like a seagull to me. So could you introduce our guest for tonight? Absolutely, Dr. Joe. Tonight we have Mr. Jake Wheeler. Jake Wheeler is an Emmy Award-winning creator and has storytelling experience across a wide variety of formats from original series, branded content, physical physical products, and publishing. He has won a number of advertising awards and has created content for Comedy Central, Sports Illustrated, Viacom, and hundreds of blue chip brands. The Gullfather, Birthday Seagull, is his first book, is his debut book. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Thank you. Glad to be yeah. here. Good. I'm glad you're here. I mean, what a clever title, The Gullfather. So, uh, Jake, there's so much going on here. Can you just first tell people a little bit about how you came up with this idea? Of the book yeah it's uh you know it came from real life in some ways right um jeff my partner my my writing partner um i've been working with for about 20 years you know we kind of ridden the roller coaster of of doing some hollywood stuff doing advertising stuff you know and you go through these highs and lows of, of finding brilliance and then getting beat up and then something you think is great and then it falling apart and at some point, you just kind of you kind of go back to basics, and you're like, "Does something strike you as as funny, as odd, as as so bizarre? It's brilliant." And um, you know, Jeff lives in Connecticut by the beach, and um, he was watching seagulls one day with his daughters, and he was he was kind of struck by their mobster like behavior, and, yeah. and how and, and very much so, like one will distract, you know, they're very intelligent, and and obviously they. They become very adept at at stealing food and bamboozling people on the boardwalk, and um, you know he was thinking of the um, the famous mobster Birds uh, Birdsy Seagull, uh, Bugsy Seagull, right? And and said, what about a Birdsy Seagull, right? A, sort of a captain of like bird mobsters, and, and we were kind of talking about it. We said, you know, it's so dumb, it's kind of awesome, and and, and I think what we do with ideas is then you just play with it, right? And you start kind of making mobster sounds over the birds and you, you, you voice them over as they're doing their, their action. And you do it long enough. You say, you know, at times you say, okay, that was just a funny idea. That was a funny use of 20 minutes, or I think this could be something. I think if you developed it the right way, right. Could there be, could there be a crime family? Could they have a goal? Could they, you know, could, could they be a family? Could they, could they, you know, just come to life and be dynamic. And and would you want to follow them? And, and if so, how would you do it? And yeah, so we started riffing on that. And the more we did it, the more real it, it kind of felt. And you get ideas to a point where you say, this deserves to, the idea deserves to be um, given its due process, right? Before you kind of, you kill it or you set it aside. And, and that's what we did. And it just kept being fun. And, and, you know, and then, you know, we took it to, you know, we, we looked for a good illustrator and you take it to an illustrator and at every step of the process, you say, is this crazy? Is this dumb? It's of course it's dumb, but is it, is it good? Is it, is it, you know, is it good dumb? Is it good silly? And at every point in the process, we got really good feedback. So, um, you know, and our illustrators immediately kind of took to it and we're drawing up characters and, and that bolstered it. It just kept going and going until, until we said, Hey, I think it's a book and I think we're going to publish this book. And, and here we are. And the arc of the book is so interesting. Um, you know, how did you how did you come up with that? When, the arc or the art? The, the arc, the beginning, the middle, yeah. the end, where it's going. Yeah, it's you know, it's what did Nabokov say? Like um, the secret wings by which these things grow. Um, you kind of it's it's part instinctual, right? We all sort of have a nose for story. I think it's a very human thing. 
Uh, and then part of it, you have to be a bit deliberate about it, but it was, you know, what do they want? What is, what is this, you know, what kind of mobster seagull want? And, and, you know, we're trying to create it for an age appropriate audience. Um, you know, and he wants, you know, he wants to be good. He wants to keep the fan. He wants to protect the family. Right. And, um, uh, and yet it's not, that's not comedy. Right. And so he has to do it maybe despite a lot of flaws and despite a lot of noise and a lot of well-meaning, but, um, um, you know, but chaos, right. A, a lot of people acting through their flaws. And, and so how does he become the one, that, the glue that keeps this together? Um, and yet let, let some of this sort of hilarity ensue. And, um, yeah, because the, I mean, the arc's a bit bizarre, right. There's a, a wooden security seagull that's scaring all the seagulls and it, you know it's you kind of play in this line of is it is it childlike but not childish right um and having a a, a villain that's also wooden <laughs> is, is you know kind of strange but it but it it's it's a formidable enemy for them and it leads to you know it, it leads to them having to um really kind of stretch their resources to rescue a friend right and and so you kind of start with this need um, and what complicates the need um, again, in, in, in just a, a way that's consistent with the, the characters, birds, a way that's consistent with the setting, um, you know, a way that's consistent with like the age dynamic. And um, you say, okay, well, well, who do we have that's going to try to address these flaws? Right. And, and how does it go wrong? Because like all of us, they're flawed too. Um, and as it goes wrong, you know, when the stakes get high, you really kind of see what people are made of and you see what Birdsey's made of. And he says, okay, well, you know, what, what can we do to, to really remedy this? And more things go wrong. And, and, you know, finally something goes right. And um, yeah, it all kinds of come, a lot of the things kind of come together magically in, in any story. Right. And, and you say, I don't know why I picked this character to do that or this one to do that, but you're like, Oh, I see how it kind of comes back around at the end. And um and how it's you wonder sometimes in, in any storytelling how much of it really happens here and how much of it comes out of the ether, you know. <laughs> for, for me, there was this moment. I, I don't want to be a you know give stuff away, but it's, it's page twenty five in the PDF file that I got where the golf father is talking and he says, you know, there's trouble in every every direction. Humans are moving in, trashing our beaches. They polluted our wetlands to the west. Smog blankets our sky and packs of lawless strays roam the boardwalk. We have a duty to fix it. I mean, that's that's pretty powerful, Jake. Yeah, and I think, I mean, look, we live in a world of content, right? It's, it's around every corner. And as a creator yourself, you can look, look, we could just make another thing and it could be, you know, yes, the table stakes are, it has to be adventurous and funny. But at some point you say, why? You know, what's the, the raison d'etre for ourselves, right? As, as people, um, you know, I'm an uncle, Jeff's a father, you know, why add this to the sea of things that are out there? And so not only does your character sort of justify um, their role and their sort of purpose, but in a way you're doing it as writers yourselves, right? And, and you're speaking to a certain audience, right? You're again, we're speaking to, you know, middle grade readers, eight to 10 year old kids who are you know, not not just at the age where you want them to kind of read and, and have fun reading, but to also find values that are maybe resonant or, or, you know, or values that are out there, but in a way that's resonant for them. Right. And so this sort of um, well, he's a he's a father figure and he's a goal father, but, you know, he's tough, but he's also he's not ruthless. He's not mercenary. It's not for the money. Um you see that there's this side of a character um, that's not just tough, but um, but there are reasons underpinning it. There are reasons, good reasons why, and there are good reasons why they need to be together to do it. And I think, yeah, I think that's an important part. Um, you know, there's a it's a bit of exposition there, but but he he kind of takes his his lieutenants and, and brings them to this to show them. Um, that it's important so they can see for themselves um, that it's not vanity, right? It's not a vanity play for him. It's not a profit play for him. Um, and I think like with any kind of leadership, right? Or in any kind of um, society building, um, family building, when you show that there's something bigger at play here and you can be part of it, um, I think that becomes important. I, I agree. That's why it, it really, you know, 
jumped out at me, flew out at me, I suppose, because it's <laughs> my goals. Um, it, it's it's a really important thing, and how we how we teach kids, you know, value that you know. I mean, the I am approach is saying we all want the same thing, right? We just want to feel valued by somebody else, and unfortunately, you know human beings have spent millennia increasing their value by decreasing somebody else's. Yep. And then we're astonished that we have the conflict we have. So what, what's, is there, is there a hope also with the book that, that we're able to teach kids certain things about value? And Yeah, I think so. And I think if you look in this crew, um, they all have value, right? They all have, a, they all add something. And you see it like in a lot of, you know, sort of heist comedy movies, right? Everyone plays that part, but there's value in each of those roles and, and they're, and they're without any of them, right? It wouldn't work. Something wouldn't work. Um, and then even sort of the, the, the gruffest of them um, is redeemed, not through somebody saying, oh, hey, you're, you know, you're valuable because of X, Y, and Z, but because they chose, because they saw their own value and they chose to, um, be heroic, right? Or they chose to stand up for something. Um, and th like, that's, that comes, that comes from an internal place. Right. Um, and some of our, some of our acting out comes from our flaws as well. Right. From, from not knowing if we're valued. Um, and, and you see it with the, the one wing seagull, right. He, he kind of, he kind of breaks bad and disobeys orders because he, he feels, you know, he's always felt self-conscious about this thing and getting that wing would, would make him valuable. Right. Would, would, make him like others would make him fly again. Um, but that's not his real value. Um, and, and his, his kind of real value, he, he finds, you know, in himself when he's sort of in, in that cage and, and, um, yeah, it, it's just, we all have roles to play and they don't necessarily match up with the roles we see on TV, right? The, the, there's different types of heroes. And, and I think you're starting to see a little bit more of that. I, th I think there was an era of like Marvel, right? Where, there was always a big hero attacking a, a big villain and saving the world for probably the thousandth time. And that was fine. Maybe that's what we needed at the time. Um, but you're starting to see more the idea that there's just different ways to be heroic, right? And we all have that in us and we all just have this inherent value. And it, it can it can sort of be, we don't need to be validated from the outside, but we can project it outside onto the world. And we don't need sort of permission for that. We all, we don't need to measure up to a certain bar for that. Well, I mean, there are many ways to be heroes and, you know, you, you've had such a lustrous career. Were there certain points in your career that, that you just realized you're in the right place at the right time, just feeling like a hero yourself or maybe have heroes who, who've helped you along the way. Yeah. You know, there are times, and sometimes you don't recognize them in the moment, you recognize them later, that somebody took a chance on you um, and that somebody was being a father figure to you or a role model to you. And um, and if you can look back, you see the pattern that it happened a lot. And, and you maybe don't notice it again at the time and, and maybe you don't appreciate it in the right way. But the fact that you do recognize it at some point um, and you say, ah, I can do that for other people. I can pass that on. Right. That did make a difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, everything from you had a really good Boy Scout leader um, at one point when I, when I was in the Scouts and I was an Eagle Scout and, and you know, really kind of instrumental in, in, in teaching me a lot of things and, and helping me go on adventures. Right. Um, you know, rock climbing and spelunking and things like that. And um, really kind of championed that we were, you know, very much a group of uh, outsider kids, right? And and kind of made us feel special and, and enabled us. And, it, you know, the idea of being able to empower people, I think is is really um, strong. Um, you know, and I had a, this is a funny, interesting story. I had a Latin teacher at one point and he was the best teacher, like best teacher in the world. Everyone loved him, you know, and we've heard those stories. Those are great. You know, everyone's had a great teacher, but he did one thing that was really interesting once. He, he, and he would let us all joke around all the time. But one time in one class, somebody made fun of somebody else and he, he lost it. I mean, he didn't lose, but he put his foot down. He's like, that's like, let me be abundantly clear. That's the line. We can have as much fun as we want. We don't make fun of other people. 
like unambiguous. And that, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, you're like, oh, that's a cool teacher. Let's just do whatever. And he's like, no, I don't let you do whatever. That is one thing I do not under any circumstance let you do. It was really powerful. It was because he could be so nice and so friendly and so engaging. And then at, at the right moment, he could be the absolute grown up and say, no, we do not do this. You I'm know, getting goosebumps from that story, Jake. That's a great story. Yeah, it was really, I, I remember to this day. And, and, you know, it was that there is a line, there is a line, you know, and that's our line, you know. Um, and, and then as kids, you know, some, okay, that's somebody I really respect told me that that, that that's an important value. Okay, now I got to think about that. Uh, every time this kind of situation comes up, and sometimes in the moment or sometimes after, you're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's not what we do. And then, you know, in the industry and, and in getting, um, you know, breaks or not breaks, you know, you bump into people, you get a, you get a, a mentor here and there. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have gotten into the industry if somebody hadn't taken a chance on us. And it was a, it was a, a commercial executive pr producer in the commercial business. And he saw promise and we weren't trained. We weren't sort of trained in this area. Um, we weren't, you know, I wasn't trained as a writer. I, I didn't take any creative writing classes, read a lot and did a lot of literature. Um, but it took someone to say, hey, you guys are really funny. You guys seem to have something. Um, when things come up, will you take a shot at them? Now, he didn't give us anything except the opportunity and said, you know, it's up to you if you're really going to be good or not. But I think something's there. And, and to our credit, we took that encouragement, but we also took the opportunity and every time a, a, something came up for an ad campaign, and I was on Wall Street at the time, we wrote and wrote and wrote. And I'd work, I'd work 12, 14 hours a day on my Wall Street job, take a taxi down to, you know, I'd go from from the you know the headquarters in Times Square and then take a taxi down to you know Canal Street and go to then to the my other world, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Clark Kent Superman, like the oh well, the production company down on Canal Street with the, you know, the the cool kind of you know film industry vibe and. Uh, and we'd write, we'd write till three, four in the morning and get up and do it again when there was something on. And so, you know, it's a combination of, of having been encouraged and having been empowered and, and having somebody see something in you, um, along with then you, you deciding, yes, I'm going to take this opportunity. Yes, I'm going to adopt this value. Yes, I'm going to give back because people did it for me. So it becomes, it becomes a balance of the, of the or not a balance, a combination of those two things that sort of propels you forward it's a difficult balance to have too right between all that work i mean if you're up till three four in the morning then you got to go back to work how did you, <laughs> you find the energy to do that youth ah <laughs> uh, yes i remember youth yeah one I, uh, it's getting hazier by the day but <laughs> yeah you know and i think we we in for for better or for worse when you're younger, you tend to think you see a lot of um, these things that if you can just get there, you think it'll be the answer, right? And so you you won't sleep. You'll do any, you know, well, if I get this, if I do this and I'll get that. And there's something to be said for doing it, right? There's something to be said for, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting the fingers a little bloody. Um, but there's also something to be said for going through the process and seeing that it, you know, there's no there there sometimes, right? Or the the wherever you go, there you are, and it's kind of the process itself which can mold you, but but not so much the destination. Um, yeah, yeah. As many people say, it's the journey. Yeah, and I think that I think that's real. I think you know I found that out in in the finance industry, and we kind of find found it out a little bit in the ad industry we'd get far enough sort of down a road to say, I don't know if that road really leads where I want, but it also might not lead anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, if, if you're trying to, and, and this really is kind of a big part of creativity. If you live for those ends, the ends aren't satisfying. The process is satisfying. You know, if you hate writing and you hate writing, and you hate writing, but you really want to be a famous writer someday because you think that'll answer all your problems. Your problems will still be there. If you, same with directing or cinematography or anything else. And, but when you say, I just, I love this process. I love this challenge. In fact, in fact you get to a place where I love being stumped. I love not being able to figure this out. It is driving me bananas. And I'm so happy being driven bananas. I think I can, I think I'm going to solve it. And then when you do, so you, you find a solve maybe in a script or a, a scene or just kind of your structure, 
sometimes it doesn't guarantee it's going to sell. It's just all you know is that you did something better than you could have yesterday and that you enjoyed it and you enjoyed the challenge. That's another life lesson for, for so many folks. Does that, you think, show up in Godfather? Yeah, let me think here. Um, I mean, there's a lot of perseverance. Yeah, I think that's going to be kind of the the sort of this, you know, resilience is something that that has come to me in my in my older age, right? And I think you're going to see that a lot from them, right? What's the what's the resilience factor? And you know, the ability to learn we can do things again. You know, sometimes we're so we learn a lot of things, but we don't learn that we can do things, right? And so so we don't become we don't become resilient, right? Um, and then we sort of depend on Google for our answers or now it's chat GPT or, you know, we depend on TV to be there to, to or food to be there. Everything is so, we're so used to it being there. And, um, but the idea of resilience, right? The idea that, that learning, having resilience can actually be a lot of fun, right? That be able to withstand um, trials can be actually really empowering and, and kind of fun. Well, in, in, you know, as, as a child psychiatrist, we certainly look for resilience. And what we found is the child who has had at least one person that believes in them, one person at least that sees them as valuable, that's part of resilience. It's sort of being able to recognize that you're okay, that you can do this. Um, yeah, I think that's important, right? Because resilience doesn't come out of a box. You kind of, you're sort of led to it and through it. And 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 through that, you begin to discover things about yourself and your capabilities. And um, yeah, you need that. You kind of need that first person or an early caregiver or someone to say, look, you're, you you can do it. You're doing it, right? And, and you know, how, how often you see in Little League, right? You don't really get coaching, you get yelling. You say, no, 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 but just... But you got to let the ball hit the bat. <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. I don't like I, I can't process that as a kid. Right. Some of the coaching you get. And then, then it's just done at a higher volume. You're like, but that's not belief. And that's not instruction. That's you're telling me obvious things, but you're not helping me do those things. And but once you're kind of helped through it, right, taught how and, and done in a way that you can kind of believe in it, then you can adopt it. Right. And you can adopt it yourself and you can build on it, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you're targeting a really impressionable age group um, with this book. How did you, how did you decide to, to go after that group? Because, you know, the content could be for any age. Yeah. And, you know, some people do that well, like Pixar, especially, right? It, it, everyone's in, everyone in the theater is happy, right? It, it, it can be for anyone. It's mostly for the kids, but the adults are going to have a pretty good time watching a Pixar movie. And, we, we hope that's the case here. And in fact, one of the early thought process behind it, as we were kind of angling that down and, and really kind of saying, okay, who, who is it for? You know, there was a thought about how dads, a lot of dads aren't really invested in the reading life of their kids. And a lot of boys, there's, there's beginning to be a big um, reading gender gap. You know, boys are, are, you know, stopping reading and, and they're starting to have, um, you know, adverse educational impacts. And so it was kind of like, what would boys want to read? We were boys once. What did we want to read? And what would a dad maybe buy for a boy, you know, buy for a son and say, hey, this is our thing, right? This is that thing that we laugh at, right? The, you know, there's a lot of great kids books out there, but I see dads rolling their eyes and and are like, for me, I don't have kids, but my nephews come and stay with me in Montana for a bit. And they have some TV shows on where I'm just like, I don't like, this is chaos. I don't, I don't know what's going on and I can't process it. Um, but, but something like this, right. It's still, that sort of straddles that line and say, there's silliness. There's a, there's a little bit of chaos, but there's, but it's not childish. Um, the situations they face are grown up situations, right. That I can, that I can, as an adult, I want to maybe read this with my nephews or my kids. And, and as a dad, I could say, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is our thing. This is maybe our book that we talk about, you know, you've got some other book and I don't, I don't know. I, I just can't relate to it, but this, yeah, I grew up in seeing the Godfather or the Sopranos or whatever else. And I can, I can sort of 
bond with a light version of that with you. And, and that can be our thing. Um, so, you know, so it was pretty intentional, right. To keep it, to keep it open to that and, and building, you know, not just building the a, a relationship with reading, but building a relationship between, um, you know, fathers and sons or parents and, and kids um, that they could share around a property and an idea characters that they could, they could share interest in. Well, it really is all about relationships. And then first of all, how, how do people get um, this graphic novel? So it's in, uh, you can pre-order now. Um, I don't think it's quite up on Amazon yet. It should be soon. And, but in some of the other, uh, I think on Barnes and Noble, you can pre-order and you can search uh, the Goldfather, uh, the Goldfather Birdsey Seagull. Um, and it should be available at any of your, um, at any booksellers. You can go to the goldfather.com and um, email us if you can't find a link somewhere. And we're happy to um, to send you out a link as they as they become available. The the official publication is, I believe, June 14th. It was kind of geared to be something that was right before the summer vacation, something you could you could pick up and the and the the kids would be cool reading in the car or on the beach and they would they would enjoy it. Um, and so, yeah, so we're slated for a summer release. And I think any any point really up until then, you can get in the in the pre-order queue. Great. Yeah. And, and we'll, we may rebroadcast the show as well as, as we get closer to the release date. So it's such an interesting creative process. Um, you know, I, I certainly have written a couple of books, but how how did you go about doing this? What was what is the process with you guys? Yeah, so I think, like I said before, the first nugget starts with, is there a spark? Is there is there something joyful in this? Is this, you know, I think a lot of times in, in creative life, you say, you know, where's the audience? What's the, what's the plan? What's the strategy? But I think good stuff always starts with, is, is there fun? Is there fun here, right? Could we have, and as you get older and have more demands and more responsibilities, at some point you just say, this has to be fun or I'm not doing it. Like, it's just, it's just not worth it. Can we make this a joyful experience? And so that's where it starts. And I think particularly with, with you say, are there, are there characters here? Do people, are there characters people would care about? Are there characters we would care about? And I think you go from there to saying, okay, what, what do they need? What are they trying to do? Um, you know, especially with something that we hope is serial, right? We want this, we want there to be, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 of these, of these books, you know, can you, do you want to spend time with them? That was always my, my gauge for a sitcom, right? Do, do people want you in their living room once a week for the next 10 years? Right. And do you want to be in their coffee shop? Like you are in friends, or do you want to be in Jerry's apartment? Right. Do you, and I think that's the, for me, that's the kind of sort of existential question around like, does this thing live, right? Do people want to live with these characters as they develop and evolve? And so from there, when you get into graphic novels, you know, it's interesting in that film and the visual arts are different from sort of literature and the very verbal arts. And, you know, Jeff, my co-writer and I are both very verbal people, but we spend a lot of time now in, in film and advertising where you, you work with cinematographers and art directors and, you you know I think all of us right we have our own worldview because that's the only thing we really experience most of the time right that what what's in our own heads and you start working with with visual people who think different than you and you see what they can do because they just think so differently just the way they see the world the way they unpack it is is so different and um, with visual things um, you let you, you try to let the visuals do a lot of the work and so that's a bit of a push pull right it's verbal people and people that I was I came up in reading myth and literature and um, you want everything, you want to explain everything, right? You want there to be this, this exposition or, or, or you know, good vocabulary and great dialogue. Um, but in a lot of great movies and you watch any movie now, just watch the first 10 minutes and, you know, sometimes there's only a couple sentences, right? And so the visuals really carry you. And so for us, it was like, okay, graphic novel, graphical, you know, visual novel, verbal. And, and how do you balance that? And, and and how do you lean on, you know, you lean on your writing partner, which is Jeff, but then you also lean on your, your illustration and design team. Um, and sometimes you say, okay, now I really want to give you pretty explicit feedback here. And sometimes you say, show me how you think, show me what you're thinking should happen here. And, and they'll take a page of dialogue 
and they'll 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 show how it physically happens with no words. You're like, wow, that's that's just you experience the world differently. And and then there's something really fulfilling about that. And you say that that's a great partnership, you know. And that's really interesting that I had to learn trust. And and wow, I was rewarded for that trust. I was rewarded for you know I decided to lean on you. Um, you know, and one thing was the cover for a long time. We couldn't crack a cover. We were trying to be prescriptive about, well, it should kind of look like a, like a TV show cover, like Sopranos, but like, you know, kind of a riff off that. And, um, and, and nothing was coming back. Great. And finally we said, do what you think a cover should be. Just, just whatever, just tell us what you think. And they came back with something like, oh, that's, that's why you're an illustrator. <laughs> like, you know, the way you composed it and, and the way you kind of made it, it brought the excitement to it and, and captured what was going to happen in the book on the cover, I wouldn't have been able to think that way. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of thrilling to work with somebody that, that thinks differently. It's really interesting too, to, to have to sort of really distill the dialogue in this because, you know, with, with other novels and other things, I mean, you get to explain all the stuff and explore and, and, and you want to write so that the audience can see, you know, this is this is a different art form. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I think there's an old maxim, and, and I, I won't be able to attribute it correctly, but it was they say like in novels, all the drama happens internally, in theater it happens between like you and the audience, and in movies, it, it you know happens in the action, and so you're kind of you're kind of combining some of those worlds, right? You're like, oh, this is this is happening inside them, but it's dialogues it's happening between them, and but also it has to be thought of a little bit like a, like a film. Right. And, um, you know, and there, there was something interesting the illustrators did a lot is they created a lot of really great frames that, that broke the sort of pain structure, right. That like things leaked between different frames or they, 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 you know, a whole page, a whole page illustration with no frames, but it still kind of captured the action and, and little vignettes, um, the same way we might do in a different way when we're writing, right. A stream of consciousness writing, might be akin to some things they did visually in these frames of a stream of action. Um, and, and you realize that they, they not only they think different, they, they trained different. And um, yeah, when you start to kind of respect that and, and encourage that uh, it becomes really fruitful. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and even as long as we've been kind of doing these types of things, we still learn um, not just about the craft, but about ourselves. And, that's when you just say, wow, the creative process is so, it's so awesome. It's, you know, it's humbling and it's thrilling and it's, you know, learning and, and you can really be, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to read onto other industries. I'm sure this is true in many other places, but it's in one of the, it's one of the industries in which you can really be in awe of your coworkers and really be in awe of your collaborators. And, you know, our director can just do something and you just say, wow, I could look at this all day. Show me a hundred of these. I could look at them all day. And, you know, sometimes people turn around and say the same thing to you. Like, that's just really funny. How did you do that? And, um, you know, part of life, you know, we lose sometimes the ability to find awe in things. Um, and we've seen everything. We've seen every picture. And um, sometimes you just work with people and you, you find the awe in their craft. And um, it's just one of those moments you kind of sit there and take it in and say, this is just, just fascinating, just enriching. So, I mean, I, I, I can't help following that lead. So what did you learn about yourself during this process? Yeah, I learned, I learned, and this is something, you know, I, I've kind of referenced earlier in, in the show, um, how to pull back from the ends and make it more about the, the, the means and the process, right? To, again, to say, if we're not having fun, if we can't commit to having fun, um, we're not going to do this. And, and what else at our age, you know, is, is, it's kind of, you know, there's things that are as important or more important, but you start to say that that's important. That's life, right? That's life is even if this goes nowhere, um, I got to re you know, I got to connect with an old partner and because we hadn't worked together a ton, we worked together, you know, we were for a long time, we were, you know, roommates, best friends, uh, co-writer directors. We never, there was probably a 10 year period. We were no more than five feet from each other the whole time. You know, and then, you know, life happens and, and I live in Montana and Jeff lives in Connecticut and, um, you know, you're working, it's kind of like a band, right? You split up, you work on different projects, things happen. Um, and, you know, you reconnect and you say, wow, this is, this, it's not the, how many did you sell? It's this, the process was rewarding, connecting with 
this person that I was so close to for so long, that's rewarding. Right? So how did you guys reconnect around this? What happened? You know, we were always kind of, you know, we'd connect now and then, but it was specifically about this. We just started talking about this and we said, we, you know, Jeff had written some other graphic novels um, and I would kind of consult and advise or, he, he, you know, he'd show me some things. So we still trusted each other as a source of, hey, I respect you. I'd love to get your opinion on this. Could you punch up some jokes on that? Um, you know, hey, are, what are you finding in working with editors? Are you finding anything good? So we would share, we would share a lot of um, feedback and advice, but it was around this, like, hey, do you want to, do you want to do something? Yeah, I do. But if we're going to do something like, let's just really make it worth it. Okay, well, let's just kind of, something's going to bubble up. Let's just keep talking. And then, yeah, and then kind of something bubbled up. I'm like, this is, yeah, let's run with this. Let's, you know, and, you know, he and I did a, we had done a, one of the ways we got a, a start, sort of a real foot in the door besides the guy who kind of gave us the early opportunity was um, we went to, we moved to Alabama for six months and shot a documentary on college football fans. And it, it was, it made no sense to other people. And it broke like every rule where we were kind of in our career, sort of, you just start starting to get traction. And, you know, I had left, I had left a big wall street firm to do this and everyone just assumed we were crazy. And it was some of the most, it was some of the most fun we had. It was like you and somebody sort of, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's see where it goes. Like, let's, let's take this road. Right. Are you in? I'm in. Okay. Let's see where this road goes. That sounds like an interesting life or an interesting year, an interesting month, right? And maybe it goes nowhere, but man, it's going to be a fun month. Um, it's a fun year. Maybe it's a fun project. Maybe it becomes a franchise, you know, but looking at it like that and, and remembering that we've gone on some of these runs, we've, you know, kind of look at each other and say, you in? <laughs> this sounds patently absurd. You're in too, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Let's go. And uh, yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's some magic out there. So 10 years of working together side by side. What, yeah, was, yeah. what was some of the highlights of that? You know, when it was really good, there were times where, where said, I can't believe, I, I can't believe we get paid to do this. There were some, you know, great shoots in the ad industry that we went on. And, you know, some of our early, our early pitching around Hollywood and some of our early meetings with Comedy Central, it's all, you're, you're really starry eyed at the time, but, I can't believe, I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe not only am I getting to do this, I'm getting to do it with people I like, and I'm getting to do it while having fun. So, so the kind of whole, you know, just milieu of it was you kind of walking around and you're working hard and you're sleep deprived and you're, you're jumping on every opportunity, but it's also like, this is so crazy. I can't believe we get to do this. And uh, yeah, you know, there's, there was a good, um, I don't know if if it was one of the Fairley brothers that said this or one of the one of the South Park guys, um, Matt Stone or Trey Parker, but someone said, well, you know, what's the what's the benefit of working in a partnership? Because it can it can be hard. And especially when you're young and and you know, that's why bands break up, right? There's there's egos and maybe you don't know how to deal with them when you're young. But they said, you know, it's that one day that you're done fighting the studio and you're done fighting the world and you're done fighting everything else, is when that person says, It's cool, I got it today. You know, it, it's, it's just, there's, there's that one day where you say, oh, that's why I have a partner. That's why, you know, and so you see that over 10 years, you see that a lot. You see someone's like, Dude, can you just, can, you got this today? Or, or someone, you don't even have to ask. Someone's like, I got this today. I'm, I'm on this. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think that that's probably the sort of the macro highlight of it is, is, you know, having had that feeling and, and knowing it was there. And somebody could sense when you just needed the time and say, I got this. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I, and I have so, a few other creative partners and some other you know, lines of work. And, and there's, there's a, there's another guy that does that. He's just so instinctual about it. And that, you know, and he's down in Buenos Aires and it's just like, brother, brother, chill out. Like just, <laughs> he can tell my tone of voice. He can tell me, he's like, I got it. He's like, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it, man. I got it. And here's like, that has oh, a lot to do with, with respect and value and trust and, and knowing somebody else and, and you know i have i don't know how many versions of certain things and sometimes it's just hard to say okay it's that's not what's right was, was that at all the experience i mean the the dialogue is so crisp in this graphic novel yeah it's it's 
it was a bit of a problem here, especially because um, when you can actually see when the dialogue's in your head, and even when you're kind of putting it on paper, it all sounds kind of concise. When an illustrator fills a word bubble with it, you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> no, that is <laughs> that is overwritten. Let us let us, you know. And if I could do it again, I'd probably I'd probably chop even more. And you know, I'd see it in in film work, right? Where you, you have, um, you know, you can see it on a film script somewhat because you're kind of taught it when you're doing screen stuff. Like pages should look lean. There there shouldn't be a lot of things over, you know, three or four lines long, and unless the scene really calls for it. And so you can kind of visually see, ooh, this is this is. And other people are going to see this too. This looks like a disaster. And then you start to read it. You're like, no, it makes total sense. And, like, and then and then someone reads it like at a table reading. Like, oh yeah, it's a disaster. This is a, <laughs> this is a, it's a Hindenburg. Let's uh, you know. And then you start to you know cut it back and cut it back. And um, so yes, it still happens. It's it it it's I I get you know maybe it's one of those things you keep getting better at. But you know Hemingway had a problem with it. He, he's he's known for his concise style. Kill your and babies. Think, what's that? But that's his quote, isn't it? Kill your babies. Yeah. And there was another one. It was earlier in his career. And he was talking about an editor. And, and I, I'd have to look up the exact sort of quote. But he was talking about how there are editors who want you to take out the whole business. He says, and I don't want to be writers that leave out the whole business. Right. I want to I want to I want to have it all in there. And a lot of postmodern novels were like that, right? These thousand page kind of sprawlers. And it, it's interesting that Hemingway went from someone who, who said like, I'm going to, I don't, I'm not going to leave out the whole business. All the business is important to someone who left out the entire business, you know, and had a really kind of concise and, and sharp style. And so, yeah, I think, I think you can kind of get there. <laughs> Are you there? I'm not there No. <laughs> you know, but, but I think, you become judicious about format and in different places, if you are writing a novel, you can go, go longer. Some people want it. Right. But also, but that's not licensed to just write whatever. Right. So no, you, you kind of know, okay, I'm going longer here, but I'm adding more action or, or can I unsay some things? Uh, if it's if it's a graphic novel, say, look, it's it's gonna be ink on a page, so I, I might want to start thinking about it now. And, and well, if it's film, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try to cut it back, and you know, some table reads will show me more. And and you know what? Sometimes you, you know, and, and, and I think it, it, it's part and parcel of life as a whole. Can I let go? What can I let go of? What can I, do I need to say? You know, is there a need within us as writers to articulate and perfectly articulate and then over articulate? everything right did i say it right are they getting it and i'll just say it again and then now i just said it twice what's going on so i'll say the third time to clarify that that both were right and then you're over and and can we let go can we trust our audience can we trust our audience to get it you know there's that old maxim of less is more and uh, da vinci's maybe he said it simplicity is, is divinity or something like that but you know can you get there but you always you don't have to all the time you don't have to in every case um, you know, a good stand-up comedian, that's all words, you know, you don't read the words, but, um, there's a way to make them work, but, but a lot of it's context and, um, and none of it's just a license to, you know, kind of just let it all you know, sprawl out there. No, it's, it's, it seems like it's really taking tell and making it show in this case, as opposed to like what we're doing now with telepsychiatry um is it's taking tell and making it show so instead of somebody just telling me something about what's going on in their world they can actually show me the picture of their grandmother on their refrigerator it's mm -hmm. it's so different but it, and it it stimulates all the all the other associations that happen and certainly you know i mean there's some i mean one of the early graphic novels I remember was Mouse. Remember M-A-U-S, Mouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like mind-blowing the way they, they use the visual part to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah, and you start to think of, you know, in your characters, like not what would they say next? What is this character doing? This character has a need. What are they going to do next, right? This character is going to find out information. Generally, when you find out information, it's you're told it, but... But it doesn't have to be the case. And in really good instances, that's not the case. It happens, 
It happens in other ways. And so you have to open up to exploring how does X happen? How, how, what does this person need? So what do they do about it? Not what do they say about it? And, and that becomes a, a sort of an internal guide to say, okay, this person wants or needs some. This person's scared. What do they do next? Now, what does a scared person do? What does this character that I'm creating, what do they uniquely do when they're scared or they're jealous or whatever? They could talk about it. We all, we all do, but that doesn't necessarily make a good narrative, right? So what do they do next? How do they try to, how do they try to achieve this thing in other ways besides just talking about it? Which is really about a character instead of a caricature, you know, the, yep. the pivot moments. You know, with, with that in mind, um, coming towards the end of the show, but the I am approach, you know, the idea that we're always doing the best we can, influenced by these four domains of your home domain and your social domain, the biological domain and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because the domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. Jake, what small change can you recommend to our listeners, given what we're talking about tonight? Yeah, I think I touched on it a couple of times. Um, I think I'd say to forget the ends and focus on, on the means, right? I have the saying that the means actually are the ends, right? You, you can't sort of say, well, you know, we want peace in the future, but we're willing to fight any war to get there. Because at the end, that's all you know, right? Is you don't actually know peace. You haven't practiced peace, right? And so, so you think about these ends and you think about, well, the end is what I'm going to be, but that's, that sort of necessarily can't be the case because any end is just who you are in any given moment. And so, you know, what I'd say is that, that think of life in some ways as a practice, not as, not as a, not as something to win, not as something to achieve, not as a place where you get and then, you, you know, and then and all of a sudden it was over and you get a trophy, you know, it, life is a, is a, just a, a consistent practice. So what are you going to practice today a little bit? And, and then, and then from that vantage point, right. I'm going to practice happiness. I'm going to practice writing. I'm going, I'm not going to be, you know, an Ironman champion, but I'm going to run, you know, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm if I'm going to be the greatest writer in the world. I'm going to learn something I like about my writing today. And then tomorrow, if you've learned that, you have a whole new set of things available to you, right? New avenues, new options, just because you did that one thing, because because you let go of the that end, that hypothetical end, and you don't know if it would ever make you happy or if there's a there there. And you bring it back to saying, you know, what can I practice today? Can I, can I practice, can I practice connection? Can I practice hugging my dog, right? As opposed to, well, I got to walk my dog and then I got to feed my dog. But I'd like to get over here. And I, can, can you, can you, can you just bring it back to the now? And I know that's a very cliche thing, but, but make it a practice. You know, I want, I want to, I want to be this right now. Not, not in 20 years, not next year. I want to be a happier person right now. So I'm, so I'm just going to do something about that. Um, and then it'll, it'll get you somewhere. That'll get you somewhere and you can't really imagine what that is. And it'll be different than that hypothesized end. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd say. Let go of that end and, and, and be that thing today. And, and I think that that leads into the second truth of the I am. That, you know, everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them, which has an effect on their biological domain. Because, you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. So what this means is you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Jake Wheeler, what kind of influence do you want to be? Yeah, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to think that a lot of our best teaching isn't by, by what we say, right? This is, this is back to what we kind of said earlier, but by what you do and, 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 through different life experiences, different people can model different lessons. And I think for me, and you talk about value, um, there was, a, there was a, a process I had to go through where, because I do a lot of different things, I, I write some graphic novels, I'm working on some picture books, I've done some films, I started in finance, but I love philosophy and psychology. And, you know, people, but who, but who are you? What do you do? And in order to um, communicate value, right? We try to sum it all up and I'm on this path and it's going to lead to this and I'm okay. And in fact, I'm valuable. And 
at some point you just have to say like, I'm just valuable because I'm valuable. Right. And, and, and for me in particular, it was embracing what I call an undefined or unstructured life. And I think that's very hard to do. Right. Because we, we, you know, if you meet someone, their parents want to know what you do. Are you going to be a good uh, partner or spouse? Or, you know, where is your value? Right. It's always kind of being implicitly asked. And at some point you just kind of say, I am super undefined and it is, it's wonderful. Like, I don't, I, you know, I think I'm, a, someone asked me the other day, like, what are you, what are you? I was like, I think I'm a philosopher. Hmm. <laughs> it may, you know, it doesn't make sense, but you're like, it's great. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to add up to some narrative about me that communicates value. You know, there's, there's the universe is unstructured, right? It's just like, there's, there can be something brilliant about just living undefined and and thriving in the undefined. And we have a really hard time with that. And I think that's what I'd like to start communicating through my example is that like, it can be magical. It can be bizarre. It can be such a just joyous ride, but you have to embrace it or you can't. And I think I ran from it for a long time and I wanted to, I wanted to find that hook and now I, I don't. And it's, it's fantastic. Sounds, it sounds freeing in many ways. As well. Yeah, you start to kind of really find that freedom in in not needing, yeah, not needing to be packaged for consumption. Well, you know, the I am is saying that we're all doing the best we can, and what that really translates is that everyone is valuable, and at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. Whenever you do that, you increase your own value, and I I really appreciate your your time with us tonight, Jake, because. I think you have remarkable wisdom to share and the book is going to be great. I cannot wait to, to hear the, the impact uh, that kids experience when they're reading it. So, well, I'm glad you all enjoyed it and, and I'm glad you had fun with it. That's, that's primary for us and it was wonderful meeting you both and speaking with you this evening. Bye, folks. Tom, we'll see you next week. All right. Good night, everyone. <laughs>